0: Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Buey, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering what a trifecta! We're here to share tips resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Hi, this is Elise Bowie with the Maximum Mom podcast. And we are on today on a different day than normal. And I am here welcoming Allie Smedley as my guest. Allie, thank you so much
1: for joining me. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really super excited to be here. Excited. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Allie and I just had a super fun conversation. I'm sure we'll be able to get into some of that. First, Allie, tell us I always like to know,
1: tell us who makes you a family, like who's in your family. Okay. So I'm married for 22 years. I married the guy that I met the first week of college. So we no lived. away. wow. Yeah. We lived in the same dorm. And we started dating we dated through all four years. We got engaged the summer between our junior and senior years. And we got married nine months after we graduated, which while wonderful, I do not recommend to most people because you are dead broke when you graduate college. And so it just makes things that much harder. And we have a 16 year old daughter who's going to be 17 years old next month. She's going to get her driver's license. We're in New Jersey. So Jersey is a little bit later for yeah. driving, starting to, you know, look at the college process. And I have four cats and one dog. Like I said, probably one of those cats will, will come strolling right across yeah, at some would... point. <laughs> they mine get jealous. Would... It's like, they know when you, when you can't pay attention oh, yeah. to them. The last podcast I did, one of them came around behind the screen and was like right here and I'm holding him off. And I like picked him up real quick and tossed him on the floor and he just got back up and came around again. So it's like, fine. And I just put him on my lap and the whole time he just sat there.
0: Oh yeah. There's, I mean, you know, if you're a cat owner, you know, I mean, there's just only so much you can do with cats. Yeah. yeah they, they have, have no respect for him.
1: personal space. Oh yeah. There's one next to me, but he he's asleep. So we're going to hope he stays there.
0: Well, tell us about your firm. Like how long have you
1: been running your firm? So I'm um, a sole proprietor right now. So I started Smelly Law Group in December of 2019. So it's been a year and almost, I guess, six months, a year and six months at this point. Prior to that, I was in a partnership for four years okay. and with another individual. And we just decided that we would do better on our own than together. So we had an amicable dissolution practice. She moved on to another firm where she's an associate and I opened Smedley Law Group. And before that, I was a partner in a three partnership firm uh, called Chase and Jenkins, which was actually my very first Employer when I oh, came into huh. law school. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So and, and funny little side story is Trace Mary Kay Trace who hired me was my mom's divorce attorney, but I did not know that until after I accepted the position mm-hmm. and hilarious. told her who I was working for. <laughs> so so it was for funny. it's for a fun story. Um, but yeah, I had been there. True. I got hired in two thousand six, so they made me a partner in twenty fourteen. So I've been an owner in some capacity. I guess for seven years. Wow!
0: Yeah, what a journey, though. I mean, you've seen it all—both like a a firm, then working in a partnership, and then now running it yourself.
1: Definitely, definitely. I've seen when I was at Trace and Jenkins, I was essentially a junior partner. I had a minority partnership, not a whole lot of decision making. We were a decent sized firm. We had five attorneys. And then the partners, the senior partners just decided that they were kind of done managing. They didn't want to do it anymore. They've actually both stayed on as of counsel in my next practice, which was nice. Yeah. Um, so I still kind of had like my mentors with me and everything. And then we had built that practice back up to five attorneys. And then one of my of counsel left and one of my associates left. And we kind of just decided, you know, we wanted different things. And I still wanted, you know, I have a vision for where I want to go and what I want to oh. do. And so I started Smedley Law Group to further that. That's awesome. I mean, you and I talked before, though, about, you know, just how
0: difficult it is to run a firm. I mean, do you want to speak a little about some of the differences you see from being in a partnership versus working on your own? Because I know I get people all the time that ask me, you know, Why didn't you have a partnership or why don't you want a partnership? And I have to say, like, I was such a student of Lee Rosen. (laughs) Lee doesn't have anything good to say about partnerships. And so I kind of always steered clear of them. Probably not the most well thought out decision. Just, you know, one thing I just didn't do. So tell us a little bit about how was it and what do you see as the difference? And what is the benefit to you of not being in a partnership?
1: The benefits of not being in a partnership is it's my vision. Right, it's solely my vision. It, it's literally whatever I want Smedley Law Group to be. Right, barring you know some sort of outside force that I have no control over, that's what it's going to be. I don't have to get anybody else's opinion. I don't have to get anybody else's input. I can pick the branding. I can pick the mission. I can pick you know the vision, the letterhead, web, like everything. It's just it's me. It's what I want. And when I had a partner, we had different styles. We had different views of what we wanted the firm to look like. And that was okay. It just showed us that we just weren't good together. Right. As you know, as partners that, that we really weren't well suited to be partners. And that was something that I think we both learned as we were doing it. You know, we got, we got along, it was, you know, we got along in the beginning, we got along throughout, we just wanted different things, had different marketing ideas, different views on how to handle staff. And it's kind of like a marriage, you know, like, And people, when, when they marry most times, you know, you spend a lot of time with that person, you date that person, you find out all the quirks and all those things. And I think when people enter into business partnerships, they don't necessarily do that the same way. Mm -hmm. And all those little things that make a relationship difficult, a personal relationship difficult could, can make a business relationship difficult. And I like the freedom, you know, the thing I miss is having, you know, collaboration, but I have other colleagues that I'm friends with who are some are in very large firms and some are in smaller firms to so get a different perspectives and things like that. But overall, I, I like the freedom. Like as soon as we made the decision to split, I came up with, you know, i part of my branding is a Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually, it's really cool. It's, it's drawn out of smoke. So it's on my Facebook page. It's, I believe is our profile picture. And it is a smoke painting that my cousin did. She's a photographer. And I I said, you know, can you create this for me? And she did. She, it's literally painted out of smoke and it's colored. So it's kind of like a rainbow transition. Mm -hmm. And for me, that that's how I see divorce is divorce. Doesn't have to be the end of something. It can be the start of something amazing. Totally. And it's, you can, you get a chance to start over and, and live, the life you wanted to live instead of living for somebody else. Absolutely. And our tagline is your life, your family, you reborn. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Kind of focus on that, you know, right. because my parents got divorced when I was a kid. And I saw, you know, the inside portion of that from a child's perspective. I was eight, my oh, younger yeah. brother, he was six. So we lived that growing up in the eighties where, you know, my mom had the majority of the time with us, my dad at every other weekend and we just lived that life. And I always wanted to show other people, like you can come out on the other side of that and be okay. And that just because you lost the life you thought you were going to have, that doesn't mean that the life you're going to have can't be something incredible in and of itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the exact same thing I was saying to somebody yesterday, I was like, you know, divorce is transformational for me more than traumatic. You know, I think of it as just an amazing opportunity if people address it kind of with the right mindset, you know, if they come into it or at least can learn and grow during the divorce process, because sometimes they don't come in with the right mindset. But I think over time, you know, working with professionals that can help them change and kind of flip that mindset and get it where it's right. I think you can really use divorce as such a stepping stone for, you know, your next best
1: life and yeah, it, what's next. It's empowerment. I think with oh, a lot yeah. of, I, I mean, I've helped women who didn't know how to write a check right in the beginning to, to get them to a point where, you know, they're living on their own and planning their life. And that makes me feel really good to, to look oh. at that person now and go, I played a part in that, you know, I helped them see who they were or who they always were. And they just didn't know where, where that person was, you know, so
0: it's the most rewarding thing we do, you know, is really being able to help people get to the other side. I mean, I have the same thing where recently I represented a a doctor, the dad, and, you know, he hadn't, I mean, he was busy, you know, he had a big job or whatever. So he wasn't like super, you know, involved in all the day to day things. But I mean, he was an excellent dad, you know, and they had made decisions as a family how to handle things. And obviously now with the divorce, they were having to rethink those and make new decisions. And I mean, I worked so hard to ensure that he could have good quality time with his children despite the fact that he had this big job. But I mean, he was very willing to make changes and do things. And it's been so rewarding to see, you know, somebody get that kind of time and be able to step up and be such a great dad, even though maybe on the surface, you know, it would have seemed like mom would be entitled to more things. And I just, I love being able to help parents kind of not look at whatever they've done in the past, but really think about, okay, we're faced with new decisions here. So how do we make good ones and how do we help our children thrive through this?
1: Right. Because I mean, at the end of the day, the kids are the ones who have no say in any of this, that it's a decision of the adults. They live out their parents' decisions, good, bad, or otherwise. And I'll tell people, you know, yes, Maybe your husband has hours that don't work, but let's find something that works because at the end of the day, they're going to benefit from having both of you in their lives. Absolutely. You know, if somebody wants that time, now I've had cases where somebody wants some like equal time, but it's just, it's just not feasible. And that's a conversation too, you know, because sometimes there's financial motivators with things like that, but you have to get them there. And like, that's part of my job is, is to get them there. And, and one of the things I try to do with my clients is I don't just tell them what they want to hear. A lot of people just totally. want that. They just want somebody to validate yeah, no. what, they, what they're feeling. And yes, you know, it's okay that you want to, you know, drag this person on, through the dirt or you want to punish them or you want to take the children because that's the easiest way to hurt somebody else and get them to a point where they see that this is like the people you are hurting at the end of the day are the people you supposedly care about the most.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I just flat out ask people, I'm like, do you actually hate your ex more than you love your children. And I'm like, because that's surely how you're acting. And it's really interesting to hear people, you know, answer that question or really be stumped by it. You know, when we're talking and they're like, whoa, okay, no one's ever asked me that. And that was pretty rude, Elise. And, you know, <laughs> like, no, I don't. And but yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, because a lot of times I agree with you. I mean, I think being just straight up blunt with clients, I think it's probably one of the things we have to do, and especially in family law, because I think we have some pretty intense conversations with our clients. Yeah.
1: P- because they I live
0: it. it's
1: Yeah. One of, so one of the critical. things I'll, I'll, I'll try to get through to them is they're going to do whatever you do. So people, and I'm sure this is probably the same everywhere, they get hung up on holidays. Oh. I want Christmas. I want Christmas Eve. I have to have oh. Thanksgiving. We always did Thanksgiving with my family. And I'll say, you know, from experience, I'll say, you know, my mom, we have a wonderful Christmas Eve tradition. Every year we're Italian. We do the dinner oh. of the seven fishes. And that's my mom's thing. She, she loves it. I, every year, even like through my married life, we go there on Christmas Eve. My dad hasn't seen me on a Christmas Eve dinner for in forever so we have lunch on christmas eve like that's what we started doing yeah. with him is we we did a lunch and if i can't see you know my, my mom goes to my see my brother for thanksgiving so we'll do that and have you know have a dinner when she gets back it's what you make of it this totally. you know, exactly. is a december 25th but if you want to have the big blowout with the with the tree and santa or or whatever celebration you have on december 28th that doesn't make it any less meaningful. Exactly. kids.
0: It's so know. important. I, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, we ph- philosophically are so aligned in that. And I think it's just so important for clients to hear that. I mean, when you have, you know, as you have evolved from being in a firm, then in a partnership, and then now on your own, I mean, what are some of the takeaways for you when you started your own firm that were real important, like, I mean, have you been involved in coaching? Have you been involved in various groups? I mean, how have you helped yourself as you went out on your own in trying to do the stuff we do as a mom, a a lawyer and a law firm owner? I mean, it's a lot to juggle and I, it is a lot. It's a lot. It's
1: a lot. One one of the, the things from the very beginning. So, when I um, graduated law school, I was pregnant. Like I said, I, I got married very young. I got married at 22, right after I graduated college. And in my third year of law school, my husband looked at me and said, I'm pretty sure I want to be a father by the time I'm 30. And he was 28 at the time. <laughs> we probably should have had this conversation a few years ago. <laughs> so, I tried, um, I thought I could successfully squeeze in a pregnancy through right. my last year of law school, have the baby, take the bar and then go get a judicial clerkship with like no problems whatsoever, which means that didn't, ha- isn't how it happened at all. So,
0: ended That's up hilarious because that is exactly what happened yeah. to
1: me. Like I really, <laughs> yes. I mean, I now, did you fed- get it all threaded properly? I, I, well, I, being
0: that it was completely unplanned, but yeah, I was pregnant, <laughs> took the bar pregnant, then got a judicial clerkship pregnant and then had the baby and, you know, went back to the clerkship after okay. a few days off. Cause
1: you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but oh gosh, <laughs> my judge's so, idea of maternity leave was interesting. Oh my God. So for me, it didn't work. I ended up with a medically complicated pregnancy. I ended oh. up on bed rest. I had to withdraw from the bar exam. So I had my daughter the week before the July, 2004 bar. So, and I spent a week in the hospital. So as my friends are finishing and going out and getting, you know, wasted because they're celebrating. I'm like, yeah, I'm still sitting in the hospital with this newborn here. This is like, oh, I I took the bar in February with a six month old. Then, because I was already in the middle of the clerkship year, I, I worked, I was working a job in jewelry at the time. So I went back to that job and then I had a clerkship in September. I took a job with a smaller firm to get flexibility so I could be a mom. Right. That was, I always said, I'm really proud to be a lawyer, but I don't want Abby to grow up and go, well, my mom was a lawyer and that was great, but I never saw her right. ever at so. anything. So working in a small firm, you know, there's certain risks that go with that. You know, there's lack of advancement. There's, you know, lower income. We're in a small county in South Jersey. So the, the salaries are lesser than it would be right. in the northern part of the state. But I was able to go to, you know, her plays, her awards right. at school, her sporting events, I can go to her cheer competitions. And so when I started my firm, like that's my priority, those are my priorities, especially now that she's nearing the end of high school. Oh, you know, yeah. We just got back from going to Florida for a national competition. And I said, I'm going and I'm, I'm dead to you. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm dead to you right. for these couple of days. We're doing this, you know, run this firm, handle the problems. There is nothing they can't wait until I get back. Right. And I got, to, I was able to get to that point by doing co- a personal coaching. Because I'm one of those personality types where I will always try to take care of somebody else before I will take care of myself. Totally. That gets to be a lot after a while because that's how you just burn out because you're always doing, doing, doing for other people. It's exhausting. Yeah, it is. I was the president of the Gloucester County Bar Association in 2019 going into COVID. So their their term is June to June. So I had like half of a normal term and then everything blew up and I had to start coordinating with the judiciary and the local judicial staff and the family law section and all of these things. I had been her team mom for cheerleading the year before that. And I had said, I can't do it this year because I can't do both. And she's like, no, I understand you did it the year before that was great. I had just started coaching with Allison Williams, probably four months before we did it started with my partner four months before my partnership dissolved. And that's really helped me kind of get myself in in a headspace to realize that like, I don't have to do it all, that it's okay to delegate things. It's okay okay to let other people take care of stuff. Cause I think, you know, it's very easy, especially for women to get kind of a perfectionist personality. Where everything tough. like nobody can do it as good as I can. So I'm just yeah. not going to give it to anybody else because I don't want to screw it up. Yeah. It's a toxic mentality to have because all it does is exhaust you. And oh. I still struggle with it. But the coaching yeah. helps. I've worked with her, I've I've done some programs with David Nagel, and they've been helpful to at least help me recognize patterns where, you know, you kind of self-sabotage into that. Because Absolutely. I think the only way you can truly succeed, and especially if your goal is to grow, which which is my goal. I want I want to grow this practice. Where I'm the CEO, I'm vision casting, I have big dreams right. for this. Right. You have to be able to let go. That's oh, been the, think, hard, is the hardest part to do that.
0: I think delegation, I mean, is like the skill that we all have to learn and master. Mm-hmm. And to me, as part of delegation, it's that, you know, also holding people accountable. And, you know, not just kind of what I call like abdication versus delegation, you know, but really learning how to delegate in a way that's, you know, specific, measured, all those things, you know, time bound or whatever that SMART acronym is um, (laughs) for delegation. And then really being able to continually cascade the delegation throughout the whole team. I mean, I find like much of my time is spent helping my other team members similarly learn to delegate so that they can be, you know, delegating to other people. I mean, we have these white flags, like I have one here, we sent them out to everybody, but um, okay. So when people are on zoom, you know, if, if anyone is stressed out, I really want to know it because then that means to me, like they do need to delegate and we're, you know, missing something somewhere in that they've gotten so stressed out, and so yeah. I find delegation just to be critical in this, and it's not taught.
1: Oh, like it's it's funny they don't teach you not at all how to run a business in law school. I, I feel like law school barely teaches you how to be a lawyer, you right. know, how, how to do that. They teach you absolutely nothing about the practice of, of right. running a law firm. And so a lot of it's trial and error. So I'll come up with, you know, a system and we'll have to tweak it because it doesn't work or it's not practical. Right. And I'll say to my staff all the time, I don't sit in your seat. So I can look at this, you know, from above for where I am as the attorney and go, okay, this makes sense to me. Right. But when you're doing it, it does, if it doesn't make sense to you, because you're the one executing the task, you have to tell me and then we'll change it. Right. We'll find something that works, you know, and, and I do try to say like, if you guys feel overwhelmed or you're stressed or things, or, or, you know, the duties are are unaligned, you know, you got to let me know Thank because you. I don't know it, especially like this, because we're kind of spread out. I have a couple people in the office. I have a couple people remote and it, it's definitely a learning experience. I hired my first virtual assistant. We were a brick and mortar paper, everything. I mean, we scan stuff in, but like okay. I, before this, I so in the last year, I've developed a quasi virtual practice. And I will say it was partly against my will. <laughs> I love paper. I'm just, I learn better, like I process better. You oh. having paper, but I've adapted, but I've had to create like these systems out of whole cloth. Wow. At the same time, I was starting my firm with people that had only been doing the brick and mortar thing with me for, cause I took two of my employees from the prior firm with me. So they had, and one of them had actually worked with me all the way back at my very first firm when I first got hired. So oh, we wow. kind of like every firm kind of absorbed, like the last one in terms of like equipment right. and systems and procedures. And so we had all these things that had been like really set and then everybody went home and we went, okay, now, now, what do we do? Now what? How do we, how do we, I'd never heard of Microsoft teams until like two days before we closed the office. And I'm like, how are we going to communicate with each other? Wow. So it's interesting to do that, but it's getting people to admit wow. when they're struggling, especially in this environment yes. where for, for my firm, all of this was new. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and
0: Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, because yeah. we've been virtual since 2015, and so oh, COVID wow. was a non-issue for us from that perspective. Okay. You know, I mean, we just... We've always been paperless. We've always had a virtual practice. We do have an office downtown, but, you know, we didn't use it regularly. And so, I mean, I I haven't stepped foot in the office since February 2020. Wow. And so, yeah, so that part was really smooth from our perspective. And it was interesting because at the time COVID hit, I mean, it became, you know, really interesting. Like I kept getting asked to talk to people about managing a virtual firm and I did not realize how many firms were just like yours where actual yeah. paper was being used. I haven't touched that legal paper in so many years. I was really, I was kind of dumbfounded. I didn't realize. Okay. That. I didn't realize certain counties in certain states still dealt with that. Like we've had electronic filing here in Seattle forever.
1: Okay. So. so,
0: yeah, it was very different. And that's interesting from a COVID perspective to see yeah. how different firms were impacted by having to go home. I mean, I it can't was imagine. Firms. Oh, I can't imagine you dealing with that. you dealing with ending your partnership, dealing with COVID, being yeah. <laughs> dealing with the Bar Association. And then what? didn't your daughter also have like a major thing happen?
1: Yeah. She, um, in August of 2019, she tore her ACL during one of her cheerleading practices and she ended up having surgery three weeks later. It ended her whole season. Um, cheerleading is a, there's no professional aspect to it. So there, there's like end end date for most athletes. I mean, there's teams where you can be older, but most of them have a cutoff point. And so she lost her entire sophomore year. She had surgery. She had nine months of rehab. She, You know, so that was a lot of like, I had to drive her to physical therapy three days a week and we spent six months in one facility and she needed more work when they sent us to, to another facility for like the next step. They said, no, she needs more PT. So it was three more months of PT and then that stuff. So that was like half an hour from my house. So I would, you know, sit in my car on my computer and catch up on emails while she's in there doing, doing the therapy It's it was a a whole whole lot. lot. Um, And she stayed on the team. So she was still going to practices and sitting and watching. And we traveled. The last competition we went to was NCA in Dallas in the last weekend of February 2020. So that was it, it was a whole lot. And when we left, when we closed our office, we literally looked like like we were fleeing something like, like I had people pack it up computers and paper and boxes. Right. And I'm like, I don't know when we're coming back. So get what you need. And like, right. And then it was like, then I realized, you know, people are using their, their, their crappy home, personal laptops and they're right. dying on them. So then I have to buy laptops. And then some people's printers aren't great, or they don't have the right, right. And like, my internet was really weak where I'm sitting in my house. So I had to get like one of those booster things to plug into an ethernet cable that's in the wall that talks to my router. And it's like, Oh, all kinds of you know. I would go in. I'm like, okay, now I need two monitors. So then I went in and like filched a monitor and brought that home and set that up. And it's been we and New Jersey. So New Jersey has e-filing in every part except family. We were the last. We were the last division on the list to be set up for e-courts, and they hadn't done it. And I I will give the New Jersey judiciary a lot of credit. They pivoted on a dime. They had had um, a program that we call JEDS. The judicial electronic documentary system, and it's it's not as good as e-courts because e-courts you can go in and like pull down filings and look at other things. JEDS is just a document pass through system, mm-hmm. but they launched that thing in like uh, within three to four weeks. Oh wow! And they came up with an in, they came up with an interim system. So as bar president, I had to work and communicate to the members of the bar. All right. There's these, this is how it's going to work. They set up these email boxes. This is where you're going to file everything as they're getting JEDS online. And this is how you're going to communicate with the judges staff. And this is like, wow. and then they got JEDS online. So all of that's new also, and it's not consistent in every County. So if somebody files something in JEDS, if another opposing party files it, I don't get a notification. I have to wait for them to send it to me. So it's yeah. literally like just a one day, a one way pass through. Oh, and then because they weren't great at getting it to the judges, then you have to make sure when you file in judge, you also send the same thing to the judges so you know that they get it. So it's wow. like developing the firm system and then changing all my systems because all my systems were set up for in house paper. I, four years ago, I bought a beautiful historic building built in 1833. My partner and I rehabbed the whole thing. It's an old house oh. and it sat vacant for, for most of a year until we just started, started going back in, but we, we were absolutely a 100% paper transacted office. So to, to, even though it's frustrating, I'm really proud of how far we've come. Absolutely. When, I mean, and I'm, not te- I'm not tech, I'm not techie
0: <laughs> all. I mean, you need kudos. Like I've never heard <laughs>
1: this, what you have dealt with in this year kind of amazes me. It's been a real challenge and it's, it's frustrating at times. It's, it's, you know, staff gets frustrated with each other. I get frustrated with them. They get frustrated with me, but they, they've all stepped up and there's mistakes. I've screwed up. They've screwed up. We work on it. We try to fix it. We try to have grace with each other. Like I'd said before we went live, my mom has stepped in to fill in for my office manager who left and she's been amazing. Like totally like, Grabbed it and and ran with it, and she asked a lot of questions, which is which is good because yeah. you know you need to know how to do it. But when I tell her I have no idea how that thing used to run because I never touched it before in my life because yeah. I didn't have to, I said, "Develop a system. Tell me what you did. I'll tell you if, if it's good, if it's not going to work." And she's done that, That's and so amazing. I've been very lucky that. to have people to kind of jump in and help out that the way that they have. And the hope is that, you know, other attorneys, your clients and things just give you a little grace as you're doing these things. Cause you don't want to want to say, Hey, look, we've never done this before. So we're learning. Oh, (laughs) you know, I feel like
0: we have had to say, I mean, though our court, you know, has had e-filing forever. We've had, I don't know how many, it's close to like 25 emergency orders over the course of this year, changing various things. So Every time we think we get it under control and we know what we're doing, then all the emergency court order. I mean, our clients must think we're a little wackadoodle because, you know, it'll be like, well, that's how we filed motions a week ago. But now there's <laughs> a process and so now the motion that we thought we filed got kicked back or whatever. I mean, and it's been, you know, having to have a lot of those conversations with clients yeah. because- I mean, we have no control over those and nope. we're all doing nope. the best we can. Yeah. And, but I love your attitude. I mean, just listening to you, you're so upbeat. I mean, despite having a year of just thing after thing, after thing that could have knocked any one of them could have knocked you down and the fact that you handle all of them and you still have such a positive attitude. I mean, I have to ask you, I mean, it's interesting. You and I both, I know have at least done some work with both Allison and David Nagel. And it was interesting just the other night I happened to wake up and I couldn't go back to sleep. And I literally binged David Nagel, the successful mind podcast for hours. Mm -hmm. I listened to so many and my poor family's like, Oh gosh, here she goes again. She's going to (laughs) share something else. I mean, one of the podcasts that I listened to that was just so striking to me and it was about, you know, kind of like those roles that we, we land in behaviorally, you know, from whatever mm-hmm. our childhood situation was and in our life kind of reinforces whatever that role is, you know, because that's just how we do things. And we have Patterns. that automatic thing. Whereas and in the podcast, he was talking about, you know, every day you can make a choice and you can decide what you're going to do differently. And it was so simple, yet so profound to think like, I mean, I don't have to do this same thing, kind of like you, like I don't have to do an all paper office. Okay, now we have a virtual office, you know, and you can choose. And I'm curious, like, what have been some of your takeaways from David and Allison that you think have helped you with your kind of just, I mean, go to, get or done attitude that has allowed you to be so positive?
1: I think between the two of them, it's recognizing the patterns. Like, one of my weaknesses is I will in the moment it's very easy to slide back into the pattern. You know, if something starts going wrong, like my, my, my instantaneous reaction is to get overly frustrated. And when I step back and I think I go, okay, like, why am I reacting this way? You know, am I reacting this way because of what happened or because of what I'm interpreting it to mean for me? Like, what, what am I saying? Like, do I feel like somebody screwed up because they're, they're trying to piss me off or, you know, it's a personal thing against me. And it's, it's not, most people aren't wired. I was, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do this thing so I can make her angry, you know, or upset her or ruin her day. It's, recognizing those kinds of things. And, and it's a daily struggle there. There are days where lots of things go wrong. And I, I had a bad day last week and I just like (laughs) walked into the other room. My husband was watching Harry Potter and I flopped down on the couch. He goes, what? And I said, I need a break. I said, I have to step away. Like I need to just like clear my head and kind of, so I'm just going to sit here I'm going to watch a movie with you for half an hour. And I'm going to kind of like just get right in my head and, and calm down and figure out why I'm upset. And they've got me to realize those patterns, like the things that happen to you or, you know, feelings of, you know, like lack of worth, things like that. Like I got picked on a lot as a kid. So you get wired to think that you're not worthy of success or respect or love or any of those things. Right, And they really focus on, on having you realize that, you know, those are not you things those are other people's things like someone else's perception of me is not about me it's about them yep oh I mean they we actually it is I I I was recently released by two clients two challenging clients in the last three months and I had stayed in the case because I wanted to collect the outstanding receivable and I thought that if I got out of the case that wasn't going to happen I really wanted to try to make it right and we were just just weren't a good fit It took a lot, like those kinds of teachings got me to realize like the fact that we weren't a good fit was not me, was not my fault. Right. That it wasn't some moral failing on my fault or some, you know, professional inability on my fault. We just weren't a good fit. And when they fired me, it was relief. And I was able to go, it, that wasn't me. We just weren't right for each other. And that's okay. I'm not for everybody. You know, there's, there's some people I can, I can get them to see like, you know, this is how I think we should handle your case. This is, you know, what I think is going to be best for you and your family based on the goals you've given me. Right. And other people, I'm not their cup of tea and that's okay. I used to get really upset about those things. and, And now I'm just. I'm going to be somebody else's cup of tea and I'll make them happy and get them to the place where they, where they want to be. So they're good at having me realize that there's, there's just aspects of my subconscious that I've never even considered before.
0: Right. Oh yeah. I agree. I think it's it's hugely eye opening. It is. It is. And you just hit the nail on the head though. I think the whole thing of understanding your patterns and your behavioral patterns and being able to. Consciously, then make decisions you know when you see yourself just habitually doing something and actually asking yourself like, "Did I mean to act this way, or do I intend right to do this?" and you know being able to stop that pattern with intent has been I find very powerful in just being and living the life that I want to live and not allowing my past patterns. To kind of take over, because I like you and definitely yeah. uh you know take care of everybody else kind of thing, and yeah, I, you know I think part of that is just being all kinds of things, yeah. you know, but it's hard to ask for help, role. i
1: think yeah I, I think when you're conditioned to be a caretaker, yeah. it's hard to ask for help oh from, from anybody impossible you know i yeah it's you kind of get trained, I think at a young age that asking for help is a sign of weakness. Completely. You know that you you yeah. don't want to be perceived that way, and you know there have been times where I've been in coaching sessions and I've cried out of frustration because I put myself in a situation where I I wasn't I didn't want to delegate again because you know you get tied to things and it's like some point of pride. Allison was actually Allison and uh, Wolfgang got me to realize I was resisting. I've been trying to hire an attorney for a year, and that person has just not come to me yet, and. There's probably a reason that hasn't happened, but I had never considered hiring somebody equivalent to my experience. Mm. And Wolfgang had said, but if your goal is to be the CEO of vision caster, you can't be the primary litigator. It's just right. is not enough hours in the day for that. He's like, what is your concern with hiring basically another you? And right. I said, I, I, I would be worried that that person wouldn't respect me. If I hired somebody with more litigation experience than me, would they respect me as a boss? He said, well, why mm. wouldn't they? You are the boss. They're choosing to work for you, knowing those things about you. Why, why, why? Just because you have less experience means that you're not worthy of respect or you're not worthy of, you know, managing somebody right. who has more years in. It's like, obviously, if they're choosing to be in that like senior associate or of counsel position, like that's their chosen path. You know, exactly. I was taking something and kind of imposing a story on it that wasn't okay. necessarily true.
0: It would be that mean girl in your head, you know. Mine is called Eloise, and she
1: can be pretty nasty. (laughs) Probably need to give mine a name. Oh yeah, she definitely needs a name.
0: I gave mine a very official name. I think Eloise. I think it's a
1: beautiful name, but it's very official. And sounds very you know stern and kind of like in your face. Eloise is.
0: Definitely. She can do some smack talking to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to really talk back to her. And I mean, I think that is, I mean, and I'm in my fifties, this is the work of my life is, you know, being able to quiet that negative voice in my head and really ask myself, like, is what she's saying true? You know, because so much of the time, you know, she'll say things and I'll be like, Eloise, where did you come up with that? (laughs) where right. did that come from? And, you know, obviously it came from nowhere half the time. And I mean, other times to be fair to Eloise, I mean, sometimes it's true. And I'm like, all right, fair enough, Eloise. Like I'm not so good at that. <laughs> and, you know, then to me, that's a sign I need to be delegating. I mean, I should not be yeah. doing the stuff I suck at. Like yeah. that's not smart.
1: Yeah. And- there, there's, I'm not good at tech. So I have an it oh. guy and I'll say to the yeah. staff, you you have limited room to play, but I don't want you screwing everything up so it costs me a zillion dollars to fix whatever you do. So like, if it's going to take you more than half an hour to fix, just call him. I don't know what to do. Nobody else knows what to do. Just yeah. deal with it. You know, it, it's eye opening. Like, and and the question about hiring my equivalent was a huge eye opener. Oh yeah, it, it really showed me a lot of like what I thought about myself and and you know the value I was placing on myself that like why would somebody want to work for me under those circumstances i had two of councils that had twice my experience they chose to stay with me right when i started my partnership that speaks volumes they could have left they could have gone and done anything they wanted we terminated the prior firm absolutely that voice it's dangerous and and, and it's insidious and it tells it keeps you small is what it does yeah it's designed to to keep you small
0: And it takes away your confidence. I mean, I feel like your confidence becomes like Swiss cheese, you know, because Mm -hmm. you just have to know if you're hitting a hole or not. And being able to look at it and determine that so many of those holes, they're not even holes. I mean, you know, whatever your mean girl is Alexandra, I don't know, but uh, she's, you know, (laughs) saying things and, and it can really impact. I mean, it's insidious in what it can do to your abilities. And yeah, I agree. And I think working with somebody like Allison and with David and Wolfgang, I mean, I think that allows you to get some real reflection, you know, and have somebody question some of the things that you're doing and thinking. And I mean, I wish I had gotten involved in all the mindset work, literally
1: like 30 years ago. I mean, yeah. 40 years ago, from the, from about? the, from the beginning. <laughs> right. I think that stuff is so important, especially when you're first starting out because everybody's out there trying to tear down your confidence. Right. You know, you're, you're a baby lawyer. You're fresh, you're fresh meat. Everybody knows that, you know? Right. So, so it's like to kind of get that right from the beginning, oh, I think yeah. it'd be transformative. Oh, you know? I mean,
0: I think about it in terms of, I mean, when we, you mentioned law school, you know, not providing training. I mean, we need, I think, to see in law school, both the training on how to run a law firm and also the mindset work. I mean, I think our cases would go so different. Mm -hmm. if We as attorneys were working, always opposed to another attorney who has had similar work on their mindset so that we're not creating these insane escalated conflicts out of nothing and thus causing more damage to our clients. I mean, I I feel like a lot of times when you're working with somebody on the other side who really lacks emotional intelligence, I mean, you can just see the case taking left turns that need to
1: take. Yeah. I I have one right now. Like I, because people get caught up in a power trip. Totally. I have, I have a case where I got my adversary's pleadings dismissed for failure to fulfill discovery order. And he sent the discovery. I was out of town. My staff called his office twice and said, she's not here. She'll she'll resolve it, review it as soon as she gets back. If it's good, we'll sign the consent order to reinstate. He didn't want to wait and he filed a motion. Why? I told you I would look as soon as I come back, like I can't have a family vacation and you can't wait 10 days for me to look at this stuff. Like, like there's just, I think people would invest in that kind of mindset work and and understand how the things that are in their head can be kind of pushed onto other people, and it could it can drive a case, which oh. is infuriating. It really would, I think, help the litigation process. Absolutely. And people start out in law school with with kind of a bullying aspect, you know, who's the best, who's the highest ranked. Absolutely. I did a mock trial class. I'll never forget. It. I went I went at night and I worked. And I was terrified of public speaking. So people who who knew me, what I did is like, you're becoming a lawyer. Why exactly? (laughs) You don't like to speak in public. I'm like, nope, don't like it. Don't want to do it. I I felt like I was going to throw up before all of like my whole first year before every motion. And we had to do like a mock argument. My voice shook through the whole thing, like, like noticeably shook and kids were sitting in the seats, making fun of me. I went to law school between the ages of 24 and 28. I'm not young. I'm not right out of college. All the night students are more adult. And these people are making fun of somebody who's trying to work on a skill that she doesn't have. It was hugely demoralizing. And people just like they don't. Right. Because of that weakness in themselves and that need to make somebody else feel worse so they can feel better because of whatever junk they have inside of them. Right. You know, if if people get educated on that a little more, I think it would go a long way.
0: Oh, I think it would go a very long way. Well, I really, really appreciate your time today. And I just, I cannot tell you, I mean, I know we talked about how sometimes we forget to like pat ourselves on the back sometimes and actually acknowledge when we're doing something right. I mean, your ability to get through this year and deal with everything you have dealt with and maintain your positive attitude. I just think you deserve so much kudos because I mean- That it's intense. Yeah, well, I have to say you're really inspirational to me. I love. Thank you so much. And I just, I mean, you're going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, as we all deal with the (laughs) agonies of this trifecta of life, you know, that we find ourselves as moms, lawyers and business owners. I mean, it is a lot. And I think we do need to step back sometime and really acknowledge what we've done, because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that gets accomplished that's really positive and i think we forget to you know say okay and good job and you know just add a girl yeah. i have to remind eloise yeah. i'm like you know you could be nice every so often all <laughs> right pay me a compliment
1: just one <laughs> you know example. just say something
0: <laughs> well no, I thank hope you so so much. Oh yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you and I hope you enjoyed the yes. rest of your evening. And now I'm going to have to go eat my lunch. I'm now I'm envisioning the salad, <laughs>
1: yeah. yes, because it's lunchtime there. It's just about yeah. dinner time here. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank
1: you very much. It's lovely to talking to you.
0: Absolutely. You have Thanks. a great day. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.